back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. It's episode 160. I'm your host, Bruce, and I'm joined on the line once again by Sneaky Pete to Yo. chat all things Magic the Gathering. How are you tonight, Pete? Well, we're recording this episode because my buddy's soft and he hurt himself moving filing cabinets, so he told me he bruises ribs. So he's like, I can't get together and eat pizza with you. So now I get to... You know, eat verbial pizza with my friend Bruce as we talk about Ooh, magic. Your friend, I'm sorry. Soft, soft as Purell, my friend. Soft as real, Purell. Real people, sh- real friends show up and eat pizza with their buddy. It doesn't he doesn't mean play he's magic. Like, he's like, he's like, I, I just hurts too much, and I'm like, well, then how the f- do you talk? Excuse my language. How, how are you? How are you talking? Like, he got go me so upset now. that I actually cursed on the podcast. I got to go and edit that out now. That's fine. I was like, dude, what the heck? So luckily he doesn't play magic. He never will see this until I'm like, like 50. So I was just like, dude, what is, what's wrong with the, what's wrong with you, man? Like, this is why I play magic. And this is why I just, you know, play magic because at least I know what I'm getting. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> See, I know, like when I was when I used to referee hockey and uh, audience back many years ago before I became a magic person, I played refereed a lot of hockey, and I definitely remember getting a rib, like a slap shot off the ribs, and because the defenseman wasn't you looking, just going right out the there, and just ri- ripped it off my rib cage, and like, I remember lying on the ice for, you know, probably a good three or four minutes, wondering when the air was going to come back to my lungs. Yeah, and uh, and when I got up. <laughs> Um, I was able to resume the game um, through, through much discomfort. But then afterwards, you know what I did? I didn't go home. I went out with my buddies and right. went to the bar Fair and enough. we got pizza and we got and we got some wobbly pops <laughs> and it was all good. So yeah. now yeah. my whole right side of my rib cage turned black and blue from that one because that was uh, that was that, that was a bit of a, a bit of a howitzer. But it was yeah. I mean I wasn't about to let. The fact that I took a clapper off the ribs keep me from going out and seeing my friends. So, um, yeah, yeah. To, to, to Pete's buddy, shame, <laughs> shame. I just you thought that was funny. Soft. You got soft, young blood. You got yeah. soft. Yeah, he, I don't know. Uh, he, I don't know. So anyway, so, so to keep it positive tonight, because or today, because we uh, we love we love to uh, to show yeah, our love for this game. Uh, we we are. This is our first episode of the new year. You know, I'm glad everybody made it in one piece uh, uh, to this point. We're going to start off with one of my favorite segments, Bruce. Uh, Garbage or great? What do you have for us? I love this. This is way. All right. So tonight, I found this really sweet card. I found Brass's Tunnel Grinder. Uh, yeah. So the reason I was looking at this is because I was looking to do some some adjusting to my Megatron deck. Um, yes. Megatron is a Mardu colored commander that cares a lot about other artifacts and doing stuff. Um, and there's quite a bit of graveyard recursion to it. So I found this card and I kind of liked it. So two and a red legendary artifact. When Brass's Tunnel Grinder enters the battlefield, discard any number of cards, then draw that many of cards plus one. And then at the beginning of your end step, if you descended this turn, put a board counter on Brass's Tunnel Grinder. Then if there are three or more board counters on it, remove those counters and transform it. When you transform it, it turns into a land called Tekutlan, the Searing Rift. I hope I pronounced that properly. But it's a legendary land in a cave. Taps for red. Whenever you cast a permanent spell using mana produced by a Tekutlan, the Searing Rift, discover X, where X is that spell's mana value. 
So this does a lot of things that I really like. And I think it's probably a bit of an underrated gem. Um, so, but before I go and tell you why I'm excited for it, what do you think about this card? Like, just looking at it, does it start to? Yeah. Does your brain get going on this? Is there anything that gets you excited about this one, or was it just me being um, a grumpy old man in my house in the snow and cold <laughs> here in Canada? So this card, right? When I saw it, when I saw it spoiled, and then when I saw it played in in a, an arena, and then I saw it, you know, played in paper. I think it is one of the sleeper cards of this set. It's not going to go up in price. Like, I don't think it's going to be very expensive. Similar to a few weeks ago when we talked about the other three mana, a bomb flipped cave card, the the Mezontol or whatever, the one that flips to add mana equal to the permits in your graveyard. This yes. card impacts the game. As soon as it hits the field and resolves, one, it gives you card advantage or card selection, I guess. Well, it doesn't really like give you selection, but it gives you card advantage because you draw an additional card. Um, even if you only pitch one. And then it also can be enabled pretty quickly and flipped pretty quickly. So I, I think it fits in a lot of red decks that need the card advantage. I know for a fact I probably need to add this to my Jaxxus deck because I would literally enable this immediately every time. Um, and then the only like downside, I guess, is you can't storm off of it because I wish you, it, it just said it whenever you cast a spell instead of just a permanent. Because mm -hmm. the way red is moving... A lot of uh, red cards, like in Commander, they're playing more non-creature spells for specific effects that they need to get there. You know what I mean? Um, Discover is a nice chaos thing for red, but like the strongest creature I can think of still dwarfs like a green creature, like on average. You know what I mean? Even though it's a good card, like Terror of the Peaks, 5-4 for 5, right? Yes, it burns mm -hmm. you out, but it can get responded. It can get killed pretty quickly. Where there are five mana six sixes with trample now. You know what I mean? There are four mana six sixes. There are three mana six sixes that can speed up the game a little bit. Um, and there's a two mana eight eight that I love. But that's a different different story. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I think um, I wouldn't play it in a deck that has better card draw. But I would play it in a deck that needs the card draw. And I really like Descent as a mechanic. So overall, I would play this card, Bruce, if that means anything. Well, I think that's where I concluded too. So I was sort of looking at this. I'm like, seems really good. It's the sort of effect that I'm looking for in a lot of my decks too. Um, and I think it has, it's comparable to Valakut Awakening, which is same mana cost. Only difference is Valakut Awakening is an instant. So you have the option of playing it end of turn, you know, before you untap. You know, dump the cards that are of no use to you in your hand and, and, and get some good stuff. Valka the Waking is 128,000 decks. Like, it's in a lot That's of a lot. decks. Yeah, and a lot of people, like, like it's hard to find the copy of it, right? Because everybody mm -hmm. holds on to their copy. Yeah. So this, this plays a similar role. Now, and I think it might be even be an upgrade because you get the option of the discard effects and then the draw... And you can even flip it into a land where Valakut Awakening, you can you either in, you're, you're kept to commit to either playing it as one or the other. And so I kind of like this option where I get the best of both worlds. And then the 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 extra discover stuff is just sort of a, a nice value piece that you can utilize. But it plays really well in like discard or reanimator decks. It plays well in yeah. descend. It plays well with artifacts. Um, so I can think of like a number of decks that I that I run already that probably need this effect. So Riel would love this. Megatron needs this. Um, like you said, Jaxus would could would use this to great effect. I think this is a really good card. I think people should be playing it too. So um, I think here on the show, folks, you're, this is getting two thumbs up from everybody. 
Um, and if you haven't gone and pulled it out or found a copy for cheap, do so now because I think you're going to find that you get a lot of a good bang for your buck right now. So here's the top commanders real quick. Um, and I'm not surprised by a few of them. So you got Tetsin, Gnome Champion. That's the commander uh, flip craft guy because you're crafting artifacts. So mm -hmm. um, that makes sense because you discard your crappy artifacts to craft with. Inti is one of my favorite cards and I love it mm -hmm. dearly because you're discarding. Whenever you discard, you get to get card advantage. Um, Zawoya, which we covered when I did that um, budget mm -hmm. deck. Uh, Sahili, which makes copies, which seems very strong. Because um, you can even make a copy of it and then have it get sacrificed anyway. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. Get extra card advantage. Ogier, because it needs card draw. That makes sense. Admiral Brass. Um, I don't know why, but maybe because it's in the precon. I don't know why you would play it in that when you have blue, but it is what it is. And Pizantle, um or other ones. There's Laura Croft. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, sorry, Pat Lanza. The Pat Lanza. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't. I missed. I had to go level Discover. Up yeah, Discover. It's mm. almost like if they're making it Discover. There's some other ones. There's some neat ones. I, I encourage the uh, you and me, uh, you to check this out, Bruce, later. But there's a lot of different different commanders. So there, it's like cool because the card gives flexibility instead mm -hmm. of like, like only showing up in like a life gain deck if it's a life gain card, right? Like that's kind of cool. I think we call that open-ended synergy. It has a lot of open-ended yes, synergy. Yes, yes. So. I like that a lot. Um, the next card is a little bit more of you have to build around it, but I think it's great for 20 cents. So I'm going to read this card to you, Bruce. Let me know what you think. Let me just mm -hmm. uh, pull this up because the name is tricky. It's one of the uh, Lord of the Rings cards. So Yeah, some of those are a mouthful, aren't they? What do we got here? We've got... Hold on. I apologize. We have Gwai here. Gwai here? Is it Gwai here? Gwai. I think it's Gwai here, but Gwai here. Gwai here, greatest of the eagles. All right, so this is uh, four colors and a white, so five mana. A legendary creature, bird, bird, noble. So you could build around it if you wanted to do mono white. And it has flying. It's a 5-5. Five, five. When it attacks, target attacking creature gains flying until end of turn. At the beginning of each end step... If you gain three or more life this turn, create a 3-3 three, three white bird creature token with flying, and whenever this creature attacks, target attacking creature gains flying until end of turn. Yeah, so I'm going to be honest, Pete. Um, I have this deck. This comes right in the pre-con, so I know you recently opened yours and we're looking at the cards. I have it. I've had it since the summertime, and I've rather I've upgraded you know, here and there with some, some neat new toys. Um, I just counted this card when I opened this uh, opened the box because I read the first two sets of lines flying, and then the giving another attacking creature flying. I'm like, man, that is nice. I never actually read the third portion of that text box <laughs> that says if you gain three life, which that deck does very easily because of yeah. all the food production that is in the deck. Um, yeah. and then it just just generates endless amounts of flying value. And like three, three flyers are not something to mess with. Those are, that's, those are real, real creatures. Um, and they're very, very powerful. Uh, so I really like this particular, what is happening here? There it is. I really like this particular, um, 
uh, this particular card. And also, it says at the beginning of each end step. So if you can trigger life gain on each end and each turn, you right. can make four eagles in the course of a turn of the table. That's a lot of value to be had for no additional, you know, n mana necessarily. So, right. I'm a big fan. I think you know the base stats alone, five mana, five five flyer are strong. And then with that much additional text, I'm also like of the opinion that this is 20 cents well invested. And if you're playing a deck that has the capacity to earn, to gain any amount of life, then this is probably something you should be looking at. Yeah. So like when I build decks with life gain, it's hard, right? Because you have you have three sort of tiers, tiered sort of things you're looking for. You got things that actually gain you life in some capacity. You have mm -hmm. payoffs and then you mm -hmm. have like card advantage or whatever that that would do something with the life gain like some sort of finisher or some sort of way to like create advantage for yourself so Gwyer checks two of those boxes it's a payoff and it also creates out, uh, outward value for you over time if people leave it unchecked and it's easy to enable so like the other thing people forget i think when life gain is like you can gain all the life you need but like if you're not doing anything with that stuff you're you're not doing anything really. You're just sitting there and like layering triggers, which anyone can really do. I'm not discounting people who play life gain. I have no problem with the Aloro decks. I'll just kill you with infect. But um <laughs> but uh Yeah, you you like that. So um <laughs> sorry, I don't care. I'm like it's just like I'll just kill you with infect. I'm like, oh, that's aggressive. Beat just got angry. Okay. Um so, but yes, you know, but, I, but, your point is you well know. taken. But but overall, what I'm trying to say is like that card checks two boxes for life gain, but we've never seen in many cards before. The gaffer does another one because it gives you card advantage if you gain three or more life. And then there's like weird cards out there that can actually do this for you in weird ways. So like there's a card called um, Archon of Redemption. It's a three, four flyer for five. It says whenever a creature with flying enters the battlefield under your control, you can gain life equal to its power. So hypothetically, you at the beginning of the end step, you make a 3-3, three, three, you gain 3 life, it triggers the Archon, you, and it triggers Gwyde here again, potentially. Um, well, it's you, only get one, you, you only get one you trigger get on one. end step. You only get one end step trigger, but what I'm trying to say is like you could stack it in such a way where yeah. you can play some weird cards, and you can gain life um, in that sense, or sack of food or whatever, but... I don't know. I feel like there's creative ways you can pull this card out and like do some weird things with it. So I I really like it. I think it's an excellent. It's excellent. I, what I like about it best is oftentimes the payoff for life gain decks is that you end up going tall. So you're a Johnny Pride mates or your Trellisaras or things that just go mm -hmm. make really big things. And the fact that you can go wide and trigger it multiple times in a turn of the table really gets really appeals to me. Um, and at 20 cents, you probably should be playing this near the top end of your curve. Yeah, uh, I think it fits perfectly. I think I'm glad you said Trellisara because I think it actually literally fits perfectly in a green white deck just because of what it does. Because green white has the access to trample, but sometimes it doesn't have access to evasion, so it's difficult sometimes to get your, your big fatties through for damage. So, thank you. Yeah, I mean. I think overall you can't lose with this particular sort of uh, effect, but I will agree. I will agree. I think the card is excellent. All right, good, excellent. All right, let's move on to some se segment two tonight, Pete. So, audience, recently Pete and I had the opportunity to uh, play some play some magic here around the, mm -hmm. in the holidays. We had a little bit of downtime, and uh, we got, we had we we found some friends, and we were able to get ourselves a pod set we up. Found some friends. We don't really have well, friends, I guess. 
sometimes <laughs> our friends, sometimes my friends are busy and that's what I, they're yeah, all, fall, they're all mind. dads. They got kids. And, and yeah. so it's hard to get a pod lined up. Even if I might want to play, my buddies may not be available. So we got yeah. everyone lined up to play and we had ourselves one heck of a fun night. We had, we played for three hours audience and we had three games in three hours and no one left salty. No one left upset. Everybody had fun. Um, it was among the best gaming experiences I've had in a very long time. So oh, we good. thought we'd just recap that quick, quickly to uh, maybe share that, share a way to help other players recreate that and have a fun opportunity to play with their friends, uh, whether you're playing in paper or you're playing over spell table. Um, right. It really was a really fun night. I don't know what your thoughts were on the whole evening, Pete, because you were also on the call. But uh, what, what did you think of it? Yeah. So the first game, just to get get through it, I tested a deck and so did Bruce. So that was a nice added layer of interesting because we had two guys we've, we've played with. One guy, he only has a few decks and um, they're a little bit lower on the end of things. And then the other guy, I've seen him play a few times uh, and he played a deck I had actually never seen him play before. So that was kind of cool. Um, Bruce's deck was five color. It was really interesting. Mine was a Xenagos deck, and it was weird because our play styles for all of our decks were sort of slower than what I've seen the last few months. So not that we meant to be slow, we didn't necessarily have a curve that was like really like slow. It was wasn't really battle battle cruiser either. It was just putting pressure and releasing pressure was different, like the way we pressured each other. So like I mean, Bruce, you had you were making fat cards, you were doing a lot of incubate stuff right like everybody yeah. was sort of developing their board in in different ways but it created a, an interesting dynamic you didn't really know who to swing at because of that too yes uh, and when we ended up committing to swinging uh the game uh advanced very quickly uh because we were taking huge swings at each other just haymakers back and forth so um before we go too far big shout out to nick who has been on the show before and my friend dave who cool. uh, is an avid is an avid listener? So both uh, Dave and Nick were on the call with us, and so Thanks, Nick was on Nick was on Corvold. Uh, yep. Dave was on the white red Strixhaven precon, but he doesn't play Ozgear. He plays Alibu, and that Alibu deck has been sneaky good on more than one occasion, and just yep. burdenated the whole table to pieces. So the deck's nothing to nothing to sniff at. Um, and so, and Pete, yeah, like Pete was on Xenagos and I was playing Rekha Rumel, uh, biologist, which is a weird sliver colored themed commander from the sliver precon, but I'm playing it as a five color incubate deck yeah. and which is super <laughs> bizarro, but it seems to work. Um, I'm going to keep trying it out, but yeah, no, it went really, really well. And like you said, Pete said like the, the, uh, the just the 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 choice. I think one of the things I really appreciate was the philosophy of deck construction across all four decks seemed to match. There was not a lot of uh, were like limited to no tutors. Um, there was and it wasn't know, even reliance. by design, really, right? No, it wasn't. It just seemed it like they lined up the really well. Went. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the commanders were pretty evenly matched, like out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, and the and the budget of all the, of all of all four decks seemed to be commensurate um, so that there was nobody who was playing, you know, dock sides and mana crypts and stuff that like turned the game into a, into a sprint. 
Um, everyone was doing, you know, their plate. We played two mana rocks. Mm -hmm. We played powerful things, but mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, played. Uh, it was played at a tempo where everybody was able to at least have an opportunity to respond to it. And I think that that interaction piece was what really created a dynamic that was fun and engaging because there right. was interplay to be had between the players. It wasn't just there was one politicking. player. There was, yeah, there was avid politicking. politicking. There was. Uh... There was like comments that were hilarious. Like Dave, like your buddy Dave was like, Peter, how does it feel to be get three against one and you're still winning the game? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Normally, normally it doesn't work out that way. But it was just because at the time I was swinging for like 12 damage a turn with some silly trampler or something. Or like I played a creature that was like a 6-6 six, six flyer. So I was swinging with 12 in the air or something like that. You know? Yes. And on top of it, some of the... the, the... The commentary was very on point to say the least yes um no so for sure like that definitely made for good interplay good banter between the players i also think that everyone's threat assessment was largely on point there was nobody yeah. who did anything that was designed to screw someone over to right. the detriment of the pod it, and and king make it was mm -hmm. that's the biggest threat of the table right now Let's i have to address it. yeah yeah let's deal with it sure. and then we will deal with the next threat as it as it presents itself, which I think is something that often gets overlooked um, in all the especially the in faster because... games, yeah, especially mm -hmm. in games that go really fast because it's like you, people played all these things by turn four, and you're like, who's actually the threat? The guy with seven mana rocks or the guy with that haymaker uh, card that yeah. he still has resolved? So, yeah, I, so agree. I think the I think the threat assessment was reason was quite on point. And no one, no one was salty about the threat assessment that under. So you know, it came to a point in the first game where Pete uh, had swung out at me and had, and delivered quite a chunk of damage, but he left his shields down, and what I was I going do. next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, what do you do? And so it was I was going next, and I said, "Well, if I don't swing at Pete, Pete's going to knock me out next turn. So I'm going to have to swing at Pete." And Pete, like you got it. You weren't upset by the choice. Oh, like you understood, no. you understood what was happening. So I, totally I understand. You know, <laughs> so I, I took my board and I swung at Pete, and and I ended up knocking Pete out of the game, um, as the as the first casualty of the game, which you know could have like, Pete could have been salty about that choice, but when you, everyone looks around the table and goes, Pete's got giant play, giant monsters. His his commander is an indestructible god. Yeah, the only way to really address it is to remove the player. So player removal it was, and so there would have been pods and situations where people would have been really upset by the choice. But all four was understood. This is how this has to go right now. It's unfortunate for Pete, but threat assessment at the table is telling everyone here, and everyone would make the same choice. So if the choice is either between me and you, it's gonna be me. And it's gonna be me. <laughs> other, Sorry, little ends. No, the the other interesting thing, and I think we touched on this uh, briefly before we uh, started recording, just our reflections from playing these games was every commander was five or greater, and also like our our swing, like the swing of momentum was like a pendulum. It was very even, instead of mm -hmm. like it being like a landslide on one side or an avalanche on the other. It, yeah. it felt like, it felt like everybody was in the game at every point 
for the most part. Maybe except Dave, but I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> well, but, um, Dave, Dave was in. Dave was in he was. that first game. It was, in, it was Matt. It was very close. It was very close. Dave, he almost Dave killed was him. in it until yeah. yeah. Dave was in it until Alibu got until his board got wiped, and then he had a re- hard time rebounding, which yeah. you know that happens in a game of Commander sometimes. Right. Where if yeah, you we can't, had to do it though, we really had to do it, but just because well, of the advantage both of you and him had in that in that absolutely. Point. There's no, no doubt about it because Alibu, he had a number of artifacts on the table and he was going to just be able to start removing things at will uh, if we didn't remove his board state. And there was, there was no doubt about it. And I think Dave also understood. He, he saw the danger that he was presenting. And so right. by doing that, Dave was, was, was set back enough that other people could, could take over the game. So again, threat assessment was on point and no one was upset by the choice to enact that strategy at the, at the table. So what else um, did you notice? What else did you notice? Well, like you said, throughout the whole, throughout the whole night, um, there was, like you said, a lot of our commanders were four mana value or higher commanders, like all three games. There was a one, one player played a Cabal, One player had a real and every, everything else was four mana or above, um, yeah. which I think, I think is probably a healthy place for to have a commander. I think when commanders start, coming in at two and three mana that provide really significant and impactful um, benefit to the board, you start running in a situation where, well, let's be real here. It's, it's almost too easy to replay them. So if they get killed, they come back too quickly. Um, When you have a four or five, maybe six mana commander, you, if they get removed, like that's, this is a big cost. Um, and so I think it ends up creating a more level playing field. That's usually that's what it felt like to me. It felt like things were more more equitable generally all the way around, which made for some better dynamic at the table. If someone had been sitting on a on a two or a three mana commander that was super redundant or recursive and like able to come back all the time, then I think it wouldn't have felt the same way at the table. Yeah. Um, at least that's my perception. I mean, because in the past when we have played yeah. games. And someone's sitting there on a two mana commander, and you're like, like Sithis as an example. Sure, Sithis as a to me is an example of a of a commander that at two mana generates more value than it probably is due. Um, sure. Yeah, and, it's a snowball effect, right? Very much so, no doubt about and that. So, and and right. even once you remove a Sithis, it comes; it's able to come back so rap- rapidly that right. they're able to get their engine back online. Where if you play a four mana commander, then you know, you you really got to choose if to stick it. Um, and I think you know, if everybody's doing that, everybody's sticking a four mana or more commander, the battlefield is a lot more equitable. And I, I think that results sure. in better gameplay. So here here's a, here's another example. So sometimes commanders are three mana costed, but they're or two mana costed, but they're not actually that cost. What I'm trying to say is like the ancient one, my deck, the ancient one, it's a two mana commander. But it actually doesn't do anything until like turn six, if you think about it, because you cast it and then you activate its ability to mill yourself or mill somebody else. Same with like a Curie. A Curie is three mana, but it's an equipment commander, so the equip cost makes it five mana or six mana. You know what I mean? Because you cast it and then you try to equip something to it or something else, and then you're swinging to get card advantage. So, or like Killing. Killing is two mana, but he's actually two mana, right? Because Two mana and everything costs two less to target. So I'm playing R's in this particular build. He's impactful as soon as he hits the board. Um, so the, what we're trying to say is like 
there's a difference between a commander that's cheaply costed, but its effect might cost more. Um, so it'll actually make its its sort of turn order and what it does impact the game later in the game. That uh, mm. unless you're playing like CDH, which obviously that's a different animal itself. Like um, a, a card I want to highlight real quick: Inti, um, the Inti, the two mana two two that gives something trample when you discard a card when you attack mm. when you exile the top card. That card is really really strong. And you could build a really strong mono red commander with it, with some of the best creatures in Magic that are Eldrazi or that are you know have haste or you whatever. So that's a what we're what we're getting at in terms of a lot of the two mana, three mana, four mana plays we did were like mana dorks, or they were set up for like later plays. So our games are very close because most of our curve out was around the same time. Some people yeah. they curve out faster than others, and then games become an arms race. Where someone gets bullied out of the game because they're too fast for the table. So go ahead, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. So well, yeah. so yeah, so our experience we had we had, had we one of the reasons we had a, a show uh, a couple of weeks ago about mulliganing was a direct reflection of this. That Pete and I had played and I and I with some other friends uh on another server, and my experience that night was that my decks didn't match the 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 rate of curve out that other players had and that I was behind and playing catch up all the time. So yeah. this, in this case, I wasn't having to play catch up. I felt I was at parity with the other, with the rest of the table, making my experience. And I think the experience of everybody is I think everybody was about at par um, in terms of where they were on their curve out. So I just, you know, that's something to look for when you're looking to play, uh, have that rule zero conversation. Sometimes it's helpful. I mean, obviously it's not just what is the command the mana value of your commander. But mm -hmm. have a conversation like, okay, like my commander is going to come down on turn two uh, or turn three without fail. Um, so you need to be prepared for what that looks like. And I mean, that's that, that's that issue with that Sithis deck. Like if Sithis comes down on turn two, what do you, what are you, what are your choices? Well, if you're mm -hmm. like me and you're developing your board, you can either choose to remove the Sithis or you can develop your board. Well, you're going to try and develop, build your board. Yeah. But you know, knowing full well that you're giving the Sithis player an opportunity to start start their engine and get going. So um, it's just something to, to have build into that rule zero conversation. It's not just how many turns does it take you to win. It's not just how much fast mana do you have. It's not just how do you win. Do you win by creature combat? But it's also looking at when does my commander come down and when do I get my engines online? And right. I think that's an important part of that conversation. Yeah, just to bounce off of that, I mean, familiarity with who you're playing with net or what you're playing against, you're not going to know every single card. Like, I still have to ask questions a lot because I have friends who play some really weird and interesting things. I have a guy who plays a snow deck. That's the the Bant snow deck. Um, I have another guy who plays Demon Tribal with weird demons that are from, like, the older sort of side of magic, like, from the last uh, 15 years or so. So, like, sometimes you got to ask questions. Sometimes I don't even know, like what these Doctor Who cards say, you know what I mean? And I have to ask questions multiple times because I'm like, we have to make a villainous choice? What, what, do you, what do you mean we have to make a villainous choice? Like, I don't know. I, this sort of uh, stance is like, Xenagos, you kind of know what you're getting, right? I'm going to play big, stompy creatures. You don't really know what creatures I'm going to play because I build it differently probably than the next Joe. But, um, you know, we have a general idea. Or like Rukamal, once you tell me like, oh, I'm playing Incubate Tribal. Oh, I have a general idea of what I might see now that I know that you're playing Incubate Tribal. So we had a clear sort of pathway uh, a few nights ago. 
with like we had a general sense of like okay this is what it looks like by turn five what this commander might do or what this deck might do so i'm grateful for that experience too because you know we were able to see uh we were able to clearly sort of have an idea of like okay how can i win and how can i stop my opponent but i don't need to necessarily blow them out um to -hmm. win so yeah so (laughs) i think i think the one sort of x factor that could have been was like like you said we the, the the we knew that like we going into it, we were two decks that were kind of unknown, but then having a Corvold deck, which is has the propensity to be it's very, powerful. very powerful, very yeah. powerful. Um, and in the end, Nick did win, but it wasn't, you know, an overwhelming you know, explosion of sack a million things, take a million game actions, kill the table for a billion damage. Like it was, it was a very measured win and Nick was full, full value for it. Um, but uh, you know, we know, but the familiarity of your playgroup is goes goes a long way in this conversation because yeah. we were familiar with Nick and to, enough to know that Nick is going to play powerful cards, but Nick's not doesn't have this purring like a Ferrari, right? Like it's not. Yeah, like he it's played be... Necrogenesis. He played Mimic yeah. Vat. He played some really neat cards I haven't seen in years, like literal yeah. years. So mm-hmm. it was great to see that uh, occur. Um, and the game could have been different, right? The game easily could have been different. Like if I had targeted him first instead of you, then he probably would have died to me faster than he would have been able to win the game. Um, because, you know, once I had Vigor out there, I could have smacked him with the dragon and then he would have had to choose the block or, you know, in response, uh, he takes a bunch of damage. So, yeah, I mean, any of those games could have went differently. The only game I really was out of the game at that point was when... Uh, I played the Ojer deck because Rurikthar and Campbell are antitheses of that particular strategy. So that was the only time yeah. where I literally killed I literally killed myself with a browbeat, which I thought was hilarious. So like the 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 impact was awesome. Cause like I did that and people were like, Are you sure you want to cast that spell? And I'm like, Yes, I literally don't care. I'm at five life and I'm taking six and I'm dying. I'm not letting any of you screwballs get me i'm getting myself you know what i mean so it was fun right because i did get eliminated very early in the second game too but again like kemball wasn't super staxy um which was nice to see ruik thar was really mimi i really wasn't sure what was going to happen with that deck and then um riel like or no you played you played optimus optimus prime just went freaking off again because it was just like, I don't have an abrade in my mono red deck because I put it in the other deck, and that's my fault for doing that. So, <laughs> not that I would be able to draw into it, but in that game, I wasn't able to draw anything. But uh, your, abrade, your abrade would have been of no value because Padim gave all my artifacts hexproof. So, and, and Padim doesn't even die to an abrade. So, uh, yeah. So, even if I blew up all your stuff that one time, Optimus Prime would flip, and then you'd get your stuff back anyway. So, yeah. Um, no, I, I think overall, though, like, the games are great. The last game was crazy because, I mean, Bruce, that game was just something else. With how well, the, I was mana, the, I was mana screwed first, so they were kind enough to give me some extra lands to get me back into the game. But okay, I well, guess the, from your perspective, so, what happened? Because well, so <laughs> I was, I thought I was in a decent spot, and then Nick cast a really interesting spell. I don't remember what it was called, but it the, basically forced you to sacrifice lands equal to the number of cards in your hand. So there's a mass, a, a like mass land destruction spell, and wow, did it just it made threw everyone for a loop. I'm like, oh my, what are we doing here? Uh, but because it, it didn't destroy 
creatures on the board. So no. everyone had to go and rebuild their hand or their, their mana base from nothing. It was called um, Thoughts of Ruin. It's an 85 cent card from Saviors of Kamigawa. So it's two colors, two red. Each player yeah. sacrifices a land for each card in your hand. So it was it was super impactful as a card. And what and what it allowed Pete to utilize other resources. So he had access to um, to convoke spells. And to chorus of Elven chorus, Elven, Elven chorus, yeah. And that really allowed Pete to get himself pulling ahead because otherwise we were up to lanes. we were pretty we were pretty 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 even except yeah. for Pete was struggling with it with the land with drawing some land, right? So you know this land this land mass land structure spell which actually like was a. I thought it was an excellent strategic choice by Nick. And I was like, there was no salt generated by it whatsoever. It was actually like, this play makes sense in this context. He played the now, card wrong, by the way. He, he played the card wrong because he had no cards in hand, so we wouldn't have sacked any lands. It says, each player sacrifice a land for each card in your hand. Oh, we did misplay it for each card in our hands. So, like, we would attack a land oh. for each card we had in our hand. Yeah. So I <laughs> that's funny. So we messed up because that wouldn't have even done anything. Because uh, so yeah, basically, exactly. for for context, Nick played the card as his last card in hand, expecting it to be that like it would be a like a uh, it wasn't symmetrical, but it is a symmetrical land destruction effect in a weird way. If he had like eight cards in hand, each player would sack eight lands. If he had no cards in hand, each player would sack no lands. Oh, so he had no cards in hand. So much. Even so, I had too much value anyway. I think at that point to actually like, be stopped because yeah. I had um I had treasures and stuff. But I love that deck because it can come back from stuff like that, right? Like yeah, it can come back from resource denial because I like to. I think tapping creatures for mana that normally are not allowed to be tapped for mana is neat. Like it's just a neat way to like play the game. So. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. <laughs> to say it, was, it was. It was. It was. It was a really good game. And you're right. And miss playing the card like that's actually kind of funny. So really anyway, funny. <laughs> we had, so long and short of it, we had a really fun night. We had a great time. Um, so takeaways there for you as an audience there, if you're going to sit down to play with your friends, like really try and sit down and cultivate you know, what the, what what your game night you want to look like when you go to play, so that everybody is more or less on the same page. Um, if you want to play super powerful stuff, you can have super like part of the appeal of CDH is everybody's on the same page playing the same sorts of stuff. Casual, there's a whole lot more variance, but if you right. have that conversation, then you can still have a really fun, really great game night um, mm -hmm. and have a situation where people don't end up feel, leaving the table feeling upset about the experience. So I think that's the takeaway we want you guys to all enter into 2024 with. Um, so you guys can make sure that when you guys sit down to play next, you're having fun to play with your friends, which I think yeah. brings us to segment three, I think, which sure. is going to be some resolutions to help yeah. us. New Year's resolutions for us. Yeah, <laughs> for us. And then yeah. maybe you as an audience, you can, you oh, can, or, you there know, you go. what you like to. So what do you think are some resolutions that we should have there? Pete? Like what's like, yeah. Think so, about all the things that 2024 is going to bring. What do we want to do as magic players to, for this great game? So I'm going to go, I'm going to just highlight them first because then we'll talk about them, I think, in detail. And I think it'd be nice sure. to just highlight them, boom, boom, and then overview. So um, 
The first one, which we talked about earlier, is play more expensive costing commanders for greater and see how that works for you. Um, I get it, you know, like Sithis is really consistent and I appreciate that. Um, what are the other two mana popular ones? There's Thrasios and Partner. There's um, Timna and whatever. There's other cheap ones I can't think of at this time. But like Giada, Giada, Giada two mana yeah, one is thank you. seems like a particularly egregious offender. Um, Satoru Umazawa is kind of ridiculous. It's very strong. Every- yeah, yeah. So these are these cards like Ishin. They're very, very strong. Three mana or less. Najila. Najila. Yeah, yeah. So these even, yeah. even. Um, I'm trying to think. Even like uh, Omnath, like like uh, like three mana green mono green Stompy Omnath can be very, very powerful. Um, but yeah, I think playing a little bit more expensive can be very. Uh, very beneficial to like challenge yourself to uh, ramp out to that card or see the value of it. Um, playing more two mana rocks in general, especially in decks that need it. So those white decks, those black decks, and those blue decks, especially and red, uh, either mono colored or two colored that might need a rock to play a card. Um, I've really come up really highly, Bruce, on the two mana rocks that come in tap: Star Compass, um, the. Two mana uh, Cold Steel Heart, the two mana stones from um they're old, but they were reprinted in Baldur's Gate. The the one that for each color, the diamond uh, and the, the diamonds, yeah. The diamonds and stuff. I've really come up on those cards, especially in decks like that are Orzov or decks that are uh Demir or decks that are more control based that need a little bit of extra ramp on turn two or three or four to play more things at a specific rate. Uh, it's really mm-hmm. come up for me. Um Cutting more staples for jank budget options of the same rate. We talked about this earlier tonight and just mm-hmm. now anyway. I'm cutting those tutors for those weird cards that are four mana or five mana seem to be more fun. Um, Commander can be more uh, social and more fun in general. Uh, we'll, d- we'll dive into that a little bit deeper in a second. And then finally, just playing more games with each other, me and Bruce. I mean, we, we really want to get into the habit of having a game night together. So we're hoping that can happen. Um, and Bruce, what are your thoughts overall? I think we can dive deeply now after this sort of thing. Um, what do you think about yeah. this sort of overview? Of well, I really think that I really do think that the example we had from the, from this past weekend when we played was very much that the higher man value commanders within reason, of course, like, I don't think you're on top playing eight or nine drops, like eight and nine drops are probably yeah. beyond where you want to be, but four five and six feels like a sweet spot for commanders. Um, that you can really do some really interesting things with them. And if everybody agrees that this is sort of how they want to play the game, then you can have a lot of fun. So I think that is... Pardon me, I have the hiccups right now. Um, but I think that is that is, uh, that, that is something that I think when I'm looking to build new commanders or I'm looking to retool decks, maybe the, sh- the framework of my deck is good, but I don't really like my commander that, that accompanies it. Maybe I can look for another option that has a slightly higher mana value uh, at four or five. That might be, you know, more more interesting to play than um, what I, you know, currently running. Um, yeah, so I think that I just think that is probably the, the one of the biggest takeaways I've had because I think when everyone sort of agrees that that higher mana value commander, that powerful engine piece is fun to have, then everybody then it's going to be resulting in everybody on more equitable footing, and I think that results in better competitive balance and more fun. Yeah. And then um, 
just the way that we look at the game, I think uh, like we should look at it as a way to like test weird cards, right? Like in, in a sense of being casual format, the point of it is to play these weird cards no one's ever seen before played, then they make them work, in my opinion. That's when I that's how I look at decks now, right? Is like I'm gonna build a deck, I wanna play this really strange card that I just wanna see it work once. Because that'll be a victory for me, like a personal victory. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. No, I would agree. So we're so this this next one, like the points two and three, I think go fairly similarly to for me. Is like I would like to I want to play and I'm maybe I'm a little bit of a boomer, but I want to play like three mana rocks that are interesting. So I think this file of Galadriel is an example of a card that I think is really interesting. Um, three mana rock, but if you would draw a card when you have no cards in hand, draw two cards instead. So you're getting a really interesting effect attached to your card. You can tap to add mana of any one color, meaning you get a rock that's you know all five colors. And then if you regain life while you uh, while you have five or less, you can gain twice that much life instead. So you have a three mana rock that's got lots of, that's that's sort of janky and outside of, of a lot of options. Um, so you're being more responsible playing a playing a rock, got more useful versatility than just being um like a manolith or uh, a dark steel ingot um right. and i think so you're covering off two of those two of those in in, in one fell swoop um and i think that leads into the next one which like you said is like you know it's about attitude if you're the the attitude you're bringing is to try and engender cool interesting conversation and fun and show that you know you're looking to explore you know all the cool aspects of this game you know, like that card that Nick played. Yes, we misread it, but it's going to be a card we're going to remember for a really right. long time. Or, or have a submerge. He played submerge like four times against you, which was hilarious true. in the same game. So most of our audience doesn't know what submerge does. Let's read the submerge <laughs> for our audience because I had never yeah. seen it until. Uh, so submerge is four and a blue for an instant, and it says if an opponent controls a forest and you control an island you may play Submerge without paying its mana cost and then put target creature on top of its owner's library. And so <laughs> Nick was able to use cast the spell repeatedly against me and I just kept getting time walked by it. I'm like, oh my gosh, putting my, I need to put my commander back on top of my deck. And I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, so the net result was actually really, really potent for a pretty unusual card. To be played, um, and it's from Nemesis and is under it's five bucks because it very rarely ever sees sees light, the light of day, but it right. makes for a really interesting thing. And it was like, oh, look at that convers like look at that sentence starter, like or that conversation conversation right. starter because we've got this really neat, interesting option. We had fun having a laugh over it. Like, look at this card. What does this do? Yeah. Um, and I really think that 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 created a positive atmosphere around the table instead of saying, oh, no, you targeted my th- my thing. Like, no, no, you targeted my commander with a really interesting and unique card that I have never seen before in my whole life. How about when he... So Nick played Backdraft Dragon, which is one of my favorite, like, dragons in Magic. It's It's such a cool card anyway, but he made it even more cool because he... He made it do like twenty five or twenty nine damage in a turn, ridiculously enough. Like it's a four four, and he was able to make it massive somehow by casting all these spells for flashback, and it was just very silly. Or, or like, how about I played that dragon? It's a six six that makes treasures or whatever. 
Yeah. And it, it was a 12 12 on like turn f- like seven or something. I just like yeah. played this big dumb dragon for two mana because Bruce had like five incubate tokens or something. So it was like kind of cool to see to see it like these weird cards we don't see every day perform. Um, it it really know. created some really created some really yeah. neat um, game states and some really good conversation and fun. And as we laughed, like, oh my goodness, only in Commander could you pull this shenanigan off right here. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's it's, it's that's those exact- it's those weird things that we do that are memorable. Like I we still my friends and I that I play with uh, in paper when I'm visiting family here in Pennsylvania, they uh they be we'd be still talking about st- stupid things we've done to each other, like in games, mm-hmm. and it still becomes a topic that we bring it back to the table the next time we play with each other. We're like, oh, are you playing that deck? Are you gonna try to do that stupid thing again? Because it's like it's fun to see. Um, it's fun to see it like go. So, I think there's different uh, like maturity levels to this game in regards to how we view it, right? Because when I first started, I would get frustrated about everything, like getting targeted. But then I got into like this phase where I wanted to just be super competitive, right? I wanted to build really, very like streamlined decks that just would win very consistently, like combos and stuff. And then I got super bored with that because that is kind of boring inherently. So then I got into like this weird mix of jank and consistency where i'm challenging myself now to play cards that probably aren't unplayable mostly (laughs) and see if they actually can be played and actually work and Mm -hmm. it's been a fun ride you know what i mean like in the last few years thinking about the game in a different way um and still trying to keep pace with this arms race that we've seen the last few months Mm -hmm. so absolutely not just months since you know since the year of commander for sure and then i think I think generally as a rule, I think everybody should be looking to play more games with their friends. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, I think this game at its core, like you said, is designed to be, particularly Commander, was designed to be social and fun. And get whatever you pizza, and your friends, whatever, get a pizza, you know, do something simple. I don't even want to, like, I don't want to go make it that prescriptive but like, like so if you and your friends play cdh and that's what you guys think is that's fun, what i mean you know yeah. like you guys play have fun at whatever way you like to have fun um but it's always more fun when you play with your friends so audience if you're out there and you you know you've been it's been a little while since you played with your friends or uh, and maybe you like connect with them again and say hey like well, let's 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 get together and let's let's do this let's there's now more ways than ever to play, whether it's over spell table or Zoom or whatever you choose to use. There's lots of ways to play that way. Or you can go play in paper, whatever you're comfortable with. And I think, you know, the reality being is that, you know, the more you play with your friends, the more you're going to enjoy the experience. So um, if you're okay. getting tired of going to the local store and playing a bunch of people you're not familiar with, well, then maybe back it up. And make a point of going to go play with some people you do know. Yeah. And like there's there's nothing wrong with, you know, not venturing into the store or going into the store w- with some friends in mind to play with. Um, so that you guys are set up to play. Like we're just gonna go sit down at a table and and get this done. So um I think that's you know, that's my that's our advice here, our resolutions for the new year for us. Um and hopefully everybody here has got some uh got some resolutions of their own. If you want to share them with us, our audience, we'd love to hear about them. What are your resolutions for 2024? Uh, you can reach out to us on all the social medias. They're all in our show notes. Um, 
And uh, we'd love to hear what resolutions you guys are planning for 2024. Um, we've got our own. Sounds like we're looking to be silly and have some goofy experiences, but that's okay. Amen. Uh, but, you know, whatever you, you guys mean. want. Uh, well, you see, again, you're our, our very own dirtbag, Pete. You love to do the dirtbag thing. <laughs> but I also, I pick you up off the ground when I push you off, you know, off the it's swing true. or something. It's true. Right? It's true. Yeah. It's like the After Sour you. Patch commercial where, like, the Sour Patch, like, stiff arms you and then takes your lunch money and then gives it back because it bought you a slice of pizza or something. Yeah, there we go. It's like after, after after you made me eat dirt, you gave me a popsicle. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I feel like it's the highest compliment when you're removed super early from a game because you're like, wow, my deck actually did the thing it was supposed to do. Everybody was afraid of me. So they got better watch out next time. <laughs> True. It is true. Like we, we better be have our heads on a swivel <laughs> next time. Or My one friend was out. upset once, like the last few weeks. He was upset because he got removed pretty quickly. And I said, I was like, bro, like that's because we respect you. If we didn't respect you, we'd let you sit around with us for hours and not like and do nothing. And exactly. we would just make you sit there and like suffer with us while we try to win the game. Mm -hmm. It's a respect thing. So just remember, it's a respect thing if you get eliminated. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. absolutely it shows people care about you bruce <laughs> they, they do and and they, they share the pain the sharing is caring so there you go <laughs> all right well, well everybody folks. thanks for <laughs> I think it's, that's gonna be us wrapping it up tonight thanks very much for joining us for uh episode 160 uh if you guys uh again check us all out we're on various discord servers your favorite podcast app uh, and all over social media, all those, all that information is in the show notes. And uh, I think with that, uh, I'm take care, say, everyone. Yeah, have take a good care, rest folks. of your uh, first week of January, and we'll see you next week at our regular scheduled time. We also uh, will have some guest speakers starting next week, so please tune in for that. I feel like these conversations will be refreshing with an extra voice. So enjoy it. Thanks for uh, keeping us in the loop with uh, with your feedback. Keep it keep it coming, and we really appreciate all of you here on the Epic Experiment Podcast. Take care, everyone. Uh, goodbye. <laughs>